Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. How many times has God provided that light for you in the midst of those dark passages of the night in your life? How many times has God during the heat of the day provided that cool passage, providing that way for you, that cloud directing you and guiding you, and not only directing, but protecting as well. The direction of God oftentimes is also the protection of God. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. When we're in the midst of trials, it's easy to forget what God has done for us in the past. However, when we face struggles, Pastor J.D. encourages us to recall those times in our lives when God has directed, provided for, and protected us. If we take time to remember his faithfulness, we will gain hope and encouragement to persevere. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 7, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, here's the ites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, and the termites that we have in our building, to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And verse 11, you divided the sea before them, speaking of the Red Sea so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep, speaking of the Egyptians, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down, verse 13, also on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, speaking of the manna, this miraculous provision. Bread, manna from the sky, At the time they needed it, all that they needed, every day, daily manna, and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. This is when Moses struck the rock. They're dying of thirst. They're dehydrated there in the desert during the exodus and the wanderings. And God has Moses strike the rock, and water comes gushing forth and satiates their thirst. 
and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them, speaking of the promised land. So I think you would agree with me when I say this, but this is a remarkable accounting of all that God had done for the Israelites. And by the way, this is just a sampling of the many, many things that God did for them. I suppose you could say they're the highlights, some of the most magnificent and miraculous things that God did. Well, here's what I'm thinking. This is, I believe, one of the most important things that we can do in our lives as Christians is to go back and recount and recall all the things that God did in our lives in the past. Because again, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. How many times did the Lord part the Red Sea, metaphorically, figuratively speaking, in your life? You know, this church building that we're in, it was a parting of the Red Sea. As only God can, it was miraculous the way that God parted the Red Sea and enabled us to acquire and then subsequently renovate this beautiful church building. That was a parting of the Red Sea. That was a miracle. Just during the process, it was also a miraculous leading by a cloud by day, which, by the way, (laughs) was what protected them from the scorching heat in the desert. Think about that. This is how God led them. He provided them a cloud, and as the cloud moved, they would stay under the cloud where the shade was, where that cooling was. And this was God's way of leading them by day and then by night. The desert can get really cold. So what does God do? He provides a fire and leads them. And not just the warmth of the fire, but the light that would light the way from the fire. That was their light and their warmth. Think about this. How many times has God provided that light for you in the midst of those dark passages of the night in your life? How many times has God, during the heat of the day, provided that cool passage, providing that way for you, that cloud directing you and guiding you, and not only directing, but protecting as well? The direction of God oftentimes is also the protection of God. Here's another thing that happens when we recount all of the times that God was so faithful, so good, where God showed up. He's never late. He's never early. His timing is always perfect. At the perfect time, when I needed God the most, He was there. He never failed me. And to go back and to recount that in the past is what enables me to get through the present. I think of David. Here he is. Picture this scene. It's one of my favorite accounts in all of Scripture, along with all the other favorite accounts in all of Scripture. But it's when David is there on the battlefield, and he's brought before Saul. Why? Because He wants this uncircumcised Philistine, a.k.a. Goliath, to be silenced because he blasphemes the name of the Lord his God. I think about the details in the account, and it's it's really quite something. 
Because for 40 days and for 40 nights, 40 the number of judgment, by the way, the Israelite army under Saul's leadership, if you could call it that, are paralyzed in fear. As this uncircumcised Philistine, which by the way, that's what David refers to him, never calls him by name, never calls him Goliath. Not once will you find it in the account. You want to know why? Because Goliath means champion. And to David, he's no champion. He's an uncircumcised Philistine that is blaspheming his God, and that's not going to work. That's not okay. And to think that Saul and even his brothers, three of his older brothers were there on the battlefield. In fact, his older brother, his oldest brother, Eliab, was just mocking him and go home, go back to the sheep, young brother, you little runt. Go back to the sheep. What are you doing here? This is for men. Could you imagine? I think Eliab was bitter towards David because when Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel, Eliab was the shoe-in. He was the heir apparent, if you will. And when Samuel realizes that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and here was the heart of little David, a man, he would become a man after God's own heart, and he was selected and anointed as king of Israel in place of Eliab, who should have been, because in that culture, in that day, much like it is today, it's always the firstborn son. That's the one that becomes the king. That's the one who inherits the estate. It's the firstborn son. He was the last out of eight sons. And so he shows up on the battlefield. Some believe he's a teenager at this time. Think about that. Probably 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. I don't know if he was old enough to drive, if he was 16, <laughs> if he had his driver's license, or maybe his permit, I don't know. But he shows up there on the battlefield, and for 40 days and for 40 nights, all day and all night, they're listening to him blaspheme God. And here comes David. One time he hears it. What did he say? What did that uncircumcised Philistine? And he goes to the army, and he goes to his brothers. What, do, you, oh, do you hear what he's doing? Do you hear what he's saying? How can you, how can you let that go? How can you not do anything about that? Let me at him. So they take him to Saul and he goes to Saul. And what does he say? Uh, this is not okay. How can you be okay with this? Let me fight him. And of course, here's Saul going, come on, David. Oh, my little boy, <laughs> my little heart player. <laughs> My, my, my friend, you're just a, this Goliath has been killing people longer than you've been alive. What are you thinking? You can't go out there and fight him. And what does David do? Oh, he recounts what God had already done in the past. Well, what did God do in the past? Oh, God delivered into David's, a young David's hands. I don't know how old he was. Maybe he wasn't even 10 years old yet. And what he tells Saul is, God delivered into my hands a bear and a lion. This uncircumcised Philistine is nothing. If God can do that, God's going to do this. If God can deliver the bear and the lion into my hands, he can deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. So what does Saul do? He finally acquiesces. <laughs> but not before trying to give David 
His armor, which weighed more than David, like 10 times more, tries to put it on and he's probably hanging like this and trying to drag all this heavy armor around. He finally just says to Saul respectfully, I'm sure, uh, I'm sorry, king, but um, this isn't going to work for me. This, this battle belongs to the Lord. This isn't between this uncircumcised Philistine and me. This is between him and God. And he goes out there and he takes, you know the story, he takes slingshots. By the way, when we go to Israel, we go to the Elah Valley. We go to the very place where this happened. This is not based on a true story. This is a true story. This really happened. I'm always kind of reluctant to call these Bible stories because when you call them Bible stories, they sound like they're just that. Oh, just a story. No, this really happened. And what does David do? He goes back in the past and he recounts what God had done for him. And now he needs it in the present. Well, verse 16, but, and this is where it takes a horrible turn. They and our fathers acted proudly. I'll tell you, anytime you read proud or proudly, you know what's going to come next. They hardened their necks. They did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, listen, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Can I say this? God doesn't have a short fuse. Could you imagine if God had a short fuse? You pray, loving Heavenly Father. What? Oh, oh. is this a bad time? No, he's I love how Gail Irwin uh, expresses it. He's slow to anger. He's not quick to get angry. He's slow to anger. How about this one? Abundant in kindness. Not just kind, but kindness in abundance. An overflowing, seemingly unendless supply of an abundance of kindness. God is so kind. And did not forsake them. The implication being, he surely could have. He most certainly would have been justified in forsaking them. This is one of the most powerful passages in all of the Bible, and this for a number of reasons not the least of which is that in spite of what they did, becoming proud, hardening their hearts, stiffening their necks, God was still merciful to them. I mean, you look at this list. They acted proudly. They stiffened their necks. They didn't heed God's commandments. And how about this? They deliberately refused to obey. That's deliberate. A refusal is a deliberate act because you know what's right to do but you refuse to do it. You know it's right to obey God, but it is a deliberate act of refusing to obey God. That is the height of pride and arrogance and obstinance. And yet, what do we read? God 
is merciful to them. Doesn't pay them as their sin and evil and wickedness deserves. And that's what mercy is, isn't it? I oftentimes find myself praying this, and it's real simple. Lord, do not pay me as my prayerlessness deserves. Because sometimes, like you, I'm sure, life gets busy, and you don't get as much time to spend in prayer. Other days you have more time, and your time in prayer is, you know, better and you have more time to pray in other days, you come to the end of the day, the day flies by, and you look back and you go, wow, where did the time go? And you realize, man, I didn't really have that much time in prayer today. And so I just, at the end of the day, say, Lord, you're a merciful God. I kind of like to remind him. (laughs) Remember, you're merciful, right? Don't pay me as my prayerlessness deserves. But I find it interesting, I don't know if you caught it or not, it says because, they they did this, why? Because they were not mindful of all that God had done. In other words, think about this, they were not mindful in recounting all of the good that God had done. And their hearts became filled with pride. Isn't it true that when you know and are mindful of the goodness of God and all that He's done in your life, it's not very easy to become proud and self-sufficient because it was God who did it, not you. It was the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. That's humbling. It gives you no occasion to become proud. And it was because they weren't mindful of the goodness of God. Verse 18, even when they made a molded calf for themselves, remember this, and said, this was Aaron, he takes this gold, because Moses isn't coming down, he's been up there for a long time on Mount Sinai. They're thinking, man, he's not coming back. So the Israelites are pressuring Aaron, his brother, you better, we're in the market for a god. (laughs) Moses isn't coming back, and we don't know what's up with God, so we need a new God. So they knew about this golden calf God from Egypt, so they pressure him and gave him all of their gold, said, make us a a God. So what does he do? He makes a God, a golden calf God. And then he has, if you can imagine, after God had... This, by the way, think about this. This is after the parting of the Red Sea. And not just the parting of the Red Sea and walking on dry ground, but the drowning of the Egyptians who were hot on their trail. And even as they're there by the Red Sea, they're complaining and murmuring and yelling, I would suggest, at you know Moses saying, were there not enough graves in Egypt to bury us there? Why does God have to bring us out here to kill us? Were there not enough graves there in Egypt? This is it. This is how it ends. And what does Moses do? God says, I want you to take your rod, and I want you to stand at the Red Sea, and I want you to cast your rod out, and behold the salvation of the Lord. Can you imagine this? The Red Sea parts, and the ground is not soggy, it's dry, and they walk and they pass on dry ground, and then there's this fire that is keeping the Egyptians back so that they can. 
They witnessed all of this in God delivering them out of Egypt. I'm I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me. God does all of that in delivering them out of slavery from Egypt, and he does it in a profound and miraculous way, parting the Red Sea, drowning the Egyptians. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. They're praising God for delivering them out of Egypt. And it's not long before, oh wow. Okay, Aaron, make us a God. And then Aaron says, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt. What? Wait, 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 wait. This golden calf? Yeah. This is the God that brought us up out of Egypt? Yeah. That was the God that parted the Red Sea? No, it wasn't. This is the God that drowned the Egyptians after we walked on dry land? No, that's not the God. What are you doing? Man, if if I'm God, which is why I'm not, It's why you're not either, so don't look at me all spiritual. I would just say, you know what? Um, You did that after all that I did for you? I'm just going to, you know that fire that I just consumed? People, I'm just, I'm I'm done with you. (laughs) Start all over. That's why I'm not God, and that's why you're not God either, because you probably do the same thing. Now, They worked great provocations. In other words, they provoked God. So what's God's response? Oh, verse 19. Yet in your manifold mercies, wow, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day. I'd at least taken away the cloud. You know, just for a few days at least. Just You need to think about this. Think about what you just, you just made a golden calf, said that's the God that delivered you out of Egypt. I'm going to have you guys scorch in the desert for a while without a cloud, just to teach you a lesson. But God doesn't do that to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night. I would have let them freeze a few nights in the darkness of the desert. (laughs) Why are you looking at me like that? You might have done worse than that to show them light and the way they should go. Verse 20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst after they did all this. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness after they did all that. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Forty years God sustained them. Thanks for being a part of our time here today on In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please visit our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. You'll find a link to our Twitter feed where you can join the conversation and fill your feed with encouragement. We'd also love to see you here at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe, if you're in the area. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website in spiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
Simply click listen on the top of the page to find a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. from various books of the Bible. Along with that, we invite you to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible prophecy update. You can also find the updates at inspiritandtruthradio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. We're so glad you tuned in today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has much more to share from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah when you join us again. May your day and week be blessed as you continue to grow in spirit and truth.